Hello, this is Michael Stone, the host of Conversations. We're committed to bringing you leading-edge thinkers in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, and spiritual fulfillment. On our program, we look for positive solutions to local and global issues that leave you touched, moved, and inspired to action. Our weekly guests include local and global experts and concerned citizens working together to heal the wounds that separate, alienate, and marginalize people. Welcome to Conversations. This is your host, Michael Stone, and I'm so excited to have my friend Sandra Ingerman on today. She's an award-winning author of 12 books, and she is a world-renowned teacher of shamanism, has been teaching for more than 30 years, and she's recognized for bridging ancient cross-cultural healing methods into our modern culture and addressing the needs of our time. And there are many needs in this time. Sandy, welcome to Conversations. Thank you so much, Michael. It's always a delight to talk with you. Likewise. And you have a new online course starting. It's audio and video. And it's on one of my favorite subjects, Healing with Spiritual Light and Medicine for the Earth. Talk to us about what spiritual light is, first of all. What does that mean? And how do we heal with spiritual light? Yeah, so in the body of the work that um, teaching, um, which my passion is about, how can we use spiritual methods to heal the environment? Of course, we want to look at how can we use spiritual methods to heal ourselves. And so we, we put it all into the framework together. And um, there are many phases of the work. We, um, there are many different pieces of the work I put in to create a gestalt of looking at all the aspects that we need um, and working with healing. And one of them is how we can work with the principle of light. And this is a teaching that goes back tens of thousands of years. And shamans around the world uh, are known for working with light. They don't always work with uh, really um, um, uh, formed methods of healing. Uh, they heal by their presence. And in many different spiritual traditions around the world, when I was doing my research for medicine for the earth and healing with spiritual light, I found that we see miraculous healings when a guru, a mystic, a shaman, a healer uh, becomes a presence of light. So if we look at ourselves we're more than our body and we're more than our mind. In the Western world, that's what we attach to, is our body and our mind, because we're so into form in the Western world. But if you uh, drop your form and you let go of all your thoughts and your, your thinking mind, what's left is spiritual light. And that is actually your authentic identity that's who you really are is spiritual light and so in the work of healing with spiritual light we're bringing through the feminine principle of it's who you become that changes the world rather than what you do 
And as we learn how to become less dense and uh, to work with our thinking mind to be able to transform the words and the thoughts and the daydreams that we use and how we behave in the world, that gives us the opportunity to uh, be that light that's been uh, taught about for tens of thousands of years of everything is light, um, everything is energy, and light can transform any energy. And so with Healing with Spiritual Light, we're using this work to look at how we can heal environmental issues, but also how we can work with our clients, ourselves, our loved ones, our community, to um, be able to transform a lot of the toxic energies that we're experiencing on the planet today through being a presence of light and radiating that light like a star does in the night sky or like the sun does every day. We wake up, well, of course, depending on where you live, but the sun is always shining whether you see it or not, and the sun is always giving us light. And and life, and it's always helping us to transform our health. Yeah, I love the term, you use the term dense, and I think that the dense energy, um, and we're in this, we're so focused on the material aspect of the world uh, that it's hard to recognize that we might be light because of this Form and one of the tools that you talk about is transfiguration. Maybe you can talk about how transfiguration fits into this uh, healing with the spiritual light. Absolutely. So what happened for me is um, when I was doing when I was uh, writing my book on the medicine for the earth work, I was also leading groups to Egypt, and um, so I wrote the book within two different trips to Egypt. And so the Egyptian uh, goddesses and gods really impacted um, uh, the work that I, that I was researching and what I was trying to share in the world. And one night um, I was back in America and I had this dream. And the Egyptian god Anubis came to me in the dream and said, the missing piece of your environmental work is transfiguration. And I said, okay. And it was a very short dream. I'm very clear audience. So there was no visuals. There was no anything. There was just this one powerful message. I mean, for an Egyptian god to come to you in a dream and say, this is the missing piece of your work, that was pretty extraordinary for me. So I woke up in the morning, and yes, it was an extraordinary dream, but I actually didn't know what the word transfiguration meant. <laughs> and I asked my husband, and he said, I think it means something like shape-shifting. So I went to Webster's, and I looked it up, and there it was, transfiguration is shape-shifting. And then I got completely confused because um, to me, I understand shape-shifting from a shamanic point of view. We have tons of stories of shamans shape-shifting into wolves and ravens and, and elements and, 
And I was going, yeah, but what does that have to do with healing environmental pollution? What was Anubis talking about? And I, you know, I just kept sitting with the question. And as you know, as a, as a teacher of meditation, when you sit with a question, eventually the universe answers your call and something comes. And at the time, my next door neighbor, uh, Catherine, was um, a born-again Christian. And she always saw me as the witch who lived um, next door, and she didn't want to have anything to do with me. So one day, um, I was very surprised. Somebody knocked on my door, which I live in the country, so that was a surprise. Nobody knocks on your door when you live in the country. And, um, and it was Catherine standing at the door when I opened it. And I said, Catherine, what's going on? And she said, Sandy, I have liver cancer. Can you help me? So, you know, I brought her into my office and we started working together over weeks and months. And we really fell in love with each other. You know, it was one of those stories of a religious belief pulled these two people apart. But we were really soul sisters on so many levels. So it became clear that Catherine was going to die and that that was what she wanted and it was her time and it was what her soul wanted. But we spent a lot of time lying on my floor in my office talking about life and all kinds of things. And one day I was just telling her about this dream with Anubis and Catherine was not an animated person because she was so ill but she jumped up with extreme animation. And then she started sharing all the stories out of the Bible of people walking up to Jesus and there was a light emanating out of Jesus brighter than any light that has ever been seen. And if you touched his robes, you were instantly healed. And then she went on and on and on with stories out of the Bible. I mean, those of you familiar with the Bible, they're endless about healing with light. So I went, I got it. I got it. And then um, one of the things that I did for this work was I researched miraculous stories in every spiritual tradition around the world. And what I found is that in every spiritual tradition in the world, they talk about how um, it's not until a healer, a guru, a mystic, or a shaman attains this transcendent, luminescent light, that's when miraculous healings can happen. And the word transfiguration came up over and over and over again in every book or text that I looked at. And so, it, you know, it was really um, amazing to me to see this dream really coming together and that it truly was the missing piece of um, the medicine for the earth work that I was doing. 
And then we did a series of scientific experiments, and I'll keep this brief because it's a very long, um, it's a very long background story. But we started to work with water, and we put a very common pollutant, ammonium hydroxide, in the water to take it up to a pH that would be poisonous to any being who drank it. And uh, we tried different experiments. I worked with really small groups in the beginning and then invited more people in. And at first we tried where we put the water in the middle of, of our circle on our altar and we called in every spirit, every spirit we could possibly think of, every god and goddess from any culture. And we said, we have polluted water in this room, fix it. And we tested it afterwards, and the water came down to neutral, which was a miracle, um, especially in the time frame that it happened. And so the next night, um, I asked the spirits to stay out, just witness our work, but do not engage in our work in any way. And then I led a meditation, as we do in the spiritual uh, Healing with Spiritual Light training, where I had our participants go within and drop their bodies, imagine dropping their bodies, so that it was just their light emanating, love and light emanating in the room, not towards the water. We made believe the water wasn't even there. We just emanated light, and we got exactly the same result. The water turned to neutral. So what I realized at that point is that we all have a responsibility to stand up in our spiritual power and to start engaged with the gifts that we were actually born with. Um, we are beings of light. And yes, gurus, mystics, healers, and shamans around the world healed with light, but we can too. And we can bring that working with light into working with our friends, our family, our clients, our community, and for the planet itself. And in the Healing with Spiritual Light workshop, we address all of those aspects of how you can bridge this really ancient work uh, into your own practices, into your own life, and into the work that we're all doing with climate change to make a difference. I personally don't believe that healing with spiritual light takes the place of also working with social activism. I believe they need to be bridged together, especially at this point. When I started teaching this work in 2000, we were in a bad shape, but not like we are now. And so we did have the possibility of using light. We did have that. But I feel now we have to really step up. And uh, those beings who are social activists, we really applaud them and, and thank them. And then we have students who want to do social activist work, but also want to bridge spiritual methods into their work too. And the healing with spiritual light and working with transfiguration is a very powerful way to do that. Hmm. That's so great. You know, so many questions coming up, Sandy, but um, 
I want to, um, since you're, since you're just talking about activism, I actually want to touch on that one and then we'll go back on some of the other issues, but I, I've recently been working with a climate scientist named Karen O'Brien. She's an amazing, I don't know if you've run across her. She's at the University of Oslo and she's been kind of behind the scenes in a lot of what's happening with the UN climate talks. And uh, she was part of Paul Hawkins writing the book Drawdown, which is a hundred ways that we can uh, all contribute and make a difference in climate change, kind of the outward doing. And when you talk about activism, one of the reasons that I shifted my own activism as a climate scientist was the amount of anger and againstness that was there with very little foreness, if you know what I mean. So I'd love for you to talk about that because I think some of the spiritual work that people are doing and shift and doing it out of anger may be causing more damage than actually being able to do healing. Your thoughts? Yes, absolutely. And so this is actually a topic that we bring into the Healing with Spiritual Light workshop. And uh, it's an incredibly important topic because one of the things that all shamanic cultures, every shamanic culture uh, teaches around the world is number one, our words are how we create the reality we live in. And I have become even more interested in this, Michael, since we've worked together in looking at how in spiritual cultures and in spiritual traditions, shamans actually chant. uh, um, uh, They chant and use words to dismember an unhealthy fabric of reality. And then they use chants and words, usually of their uh, cultural indigenous creation stories to create an entire new fabric of reality. And so when you look around the world again at different spiritual traditions and at shamanic cultures, words have so much power that every time you say a word to yourself or you say a word out loud, that vibration actually um, goes out into the universe and then manifests down as form. It's a vibration. It's an energy that ends up yielding form. In shamanism, it's also taught that thoughts are things and that whenever we have a thought that the energy behind that thought, so the anger that you're talking about, that anger goes out like a psychic arrow or a a psychic dart into the collective. And um, it creates uh, a very unhealthy field of energy. And when we send out that anger, we're not only hurting people we don't know, but from a shamanic point of view, that same energy of anger is going to your loved ones, your favorite nature beings, and to the planet itself, and it's also being redirected back to you. And so from a shamanic point of view, it's, there's a difference between expressing and sending. 
we all have the right to express our anger. Every one of us, we're human beings. We came here to experience an entire range of emotions. But what we have to understand is that there's an actual energy behind our emotions and that energy goes out to every being because using the principle of oneness, if you're sending anger to a political leader, using again the principle of oneness, you're sending it to your grandchildren, your, your children, your, your pet, and you're sending it to yourself. Um, and so the work is about acknowledge how you're feeling, but then use methods to transmute that anger so that the final product is you're feeding the collective with love, you're feeding the collective with light, you're feeding the collective with honor and respect. Because when you're just sending anger all the time, you're now disrespecting all of life and you're hurting it. And so we have to learn how to be more responsible for our emotions and words. And that's one of the another um, major focuses of this course. Yeah. You know, I think one of the real issues uh, around language and words is that given the mechanistic worldview that we live in, that our language is shaped in um, and is in institutionalized in everything from uh, colleges to uh, prisons to government, and that is that we think of, okay, I'm looking out here and I'm seeing something and my words are describing the thing out there that my words are fitting what I think I see out there. And from a quantum perspective and uh, versus a Newtonian perspective, actually my words are not re uh, describing what's out there. My words are creating what's out there. Right. And that's a very hard shift to make from, you know, uh, uh, world to words fit to words to world fit kind of uh, shift in consciousness. How can shamanism help us to um, take what I would call a more quantum approach of inseparability and that um, uh, how, you know, we're speaking the world into existence all the time. We're thinking the world into existence. How do we well, change that with shamanism? Yeah, well, the thing about shamanic cultures is that these tools, what you're talking about, is taught to children as soon as they can speak. So um, this is something that's just part of life. And we're, we're first trying to understand, many of us for the first time, we're in shamanic cultures, children were raised like that. And in shamanic cultures, the whole entire culture was an organism. Uh, and so each person was part of that organism and, and still is today. And each person is responsible for feeding the organism with your strength, your beauty, your love, so that the entire organism is healthy. 
what we're doing is, number one, we're in a place of overpopulation. We have this gigantic organism. We think we're all separate, but we're not. And what we're doing is, is we're, we're feeding the organism constantly with toxic energy. So what's happening is we're creating an exponential problem to what we have because as what you brilliantly shared, I, I love what you shared and I hope that you'll um, send it to me in writing so I can, I can quote you. But what you brilliantly shared was about um, how the words we speak are actually creating um, the existence that we're living in. And so we have to go back. Shamanism is actually a way of life. In, in, in our culture, we've gotten into shamanism as a series of methods. And a lot of uh, anthropologists describe shamanism as a series of methods. Shamanism doesn't have any methods because there isn't, there aren't two shamans who work in the same way. They're all using the energy that they're getting through their direct revelation. And so with the practice of shamanism, we're, we're really looking at how do we live a conscious and responsible way of life? And what happens when we show kindness and honor and respect and when we emanate love and light, what are the changes um, that happen? So just for an example, I taught a course that I've never taught in 35 years. And I wish I would have started teaching with this course 35 years ago. And I taught people how to make contact with nature beings, but not to ask them for advice. Because you know what we do in this culture we go sit by a tree and we ask it for healing. And I didn't let any of my course participants do this. Uh, we went up to the tree, we asked, may I step into your field of energy? And then we said, tell us about your life. Tell us about your ancestors. What have you experienced? What have you seen in the years that you've been living? And the point that I'm trying to make, because this goes into the conversation that we're having, is we did this with so many species and so many animals and birds and insects at our home that people started finding, number one, more uh, nature beings started showing up at their homes, even in the city. And... Um, and there was more of an interaction and there was more of a relationship. And, and the great teaching that we got from this is when you show kindness, honor, respect, and emanate love and light, you actually step into a different dimension of reality where you experience beauty everywhere. And that's what needs to happen now because with the words we're using, there's not a lot of kindness that goes with them. There isn't honoring and respecting all the different sides. And so what we're doing is we're creating an amazing amount of division. And um, we're actually, uh, and we can see it, we're actually getting the opposite results than we want because 
things are just continuing to unravel. We're not seeing, um, in shamanism, we talk about dismemberment and then the rebirth that comes through afterwards. We're not seeing the rebirth. We're seeing a continual dismemberment. And that continual dismemberment, which is unraveling the fabric of reality that we're living in, will continue until people step up to their personal responsibility of how they have to use their spiritual practices in behalf of all of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I think I mentioned Christina... Um, I'm sorry, uh, Karen O'Brien uh, saying that climate change is not a, a science issue. It's a relationship issue. Right. That, that climate change is a relationship issue. How we're related to ourselves, how we relate to each other, to the world. Um, and, and in that, there's so many forces that are um, literally promoting fear. I mean, when you look at the internet, there's new studies. Tristan Harris's work is amazing. If people haven't heard of him, he's the conscience of um, Silicon Valley. And he's been talking about how the design of uh, Facebook and YouTube and all of these are literally to suck our awareness and to create fear so that we'll buy things. I mean, it's, it's, it's not, this is not a conspiracy theory. They sit in the boardroom and figure, how can we grab them? So you'll see a, a YouTube thing and you go, oh, I'm going to watch that. That's Sandra Ingerman, one of my favorite people. And then, oh, you know, I, I, now I need to go to work, but now it's Alberto Violdo is coming up. And then, you know, it's Robert Moss is coming up. And next thing you know, you're five hours on the internet. And of course, all the time they're selling you something on the side, you know, those new shoes you were looking at, here they are, you know, cheap pricer. So, um, and, and then in all of that is this intense fear that uh, is created and where's the love? How do we get from there to the love that's necessary to create that sacred reciprocity that the Kichwa call Aini, uh, that that kind of exchange of of you know recognition of love because we're all in so much fear it's it's supporting that belief that we are separate uh, beings in a world of objects. Yeah, well, there's a lot to unpack in what you said. Um, you know, first of all. Um, I, I've I've had I've been talking about this a little bit more in interviews. I've had some health challenges over the past few years, and it really all came from being on the internet too much. And um, and I'm trying to make people aware of uh, fields of energy and fields of energy that we're a field of energy. Everything is a field of energy. Illness is a field of energy. Uh, Facebook is a field of energy. Twitter is a field of energy. What field of energy is healthy for us to engage in and to be in? And what fields of energy do we need to step out of? And I've been asking people to look at that. And I can't tell people what to do 
but I'm rarely on Facebook anymore. I have my own pages and I have pages for the courses that I'm teaching and I want to be responsible for my students and so I still engage in those. But as far as generally being on the computer anymore or generally being on Facebook, um, I found it's a very, very unhealthy collective energy, a field of energy for me to be in, and I had to step out of it. Um, Another thing, too, I think is important is, uh, and I I talk about this a lot because it was a real wake-up call for me. I think I learned about this in the 70s or early 80s, that one of the things they do in prisons is they know that if all the prisoners loved each other and bonded together, the guards would have no control on the prisoners. So they intentionally create division between the races and they intentionally create division between different groups so that they're always fighting with each other instead of trying to escape or fighting with the guards. And you can see that happening. Sometimes I wonder, is the spiritual community so lost that they don't see how we're being manipulated right now to divide against each other and to fight with each other? Because if we actually came together from a place of love, we would be seeing something completely different. And we would see a force of movement, a positive force of movement that could create an amazing amount of change. And um, as I was sharing with the nature beings, um, when we spend time in nature and we get off the computer and we stop spending time with humans and we get out into nature we start to come back to ourselves, to our own sanity. We remember what's important about life. And we do start to look at the sky and go, oh, you're so beautiful, and to the trees, you're so beautiful, and to the flowers, and to the ravens, and to the birds, and all the creatures that we're seeing. And something changes inside of us. Um, Instead of who is every being we're angry with by spending uh, time in nature, we're sinking into ourselves and we're sinking into the power of love because we're all in love with nature. And so, you know, that's really important. And it's, of course, one of the principles that I teach in Healing with Spiritual Light is spending a lot of time in nature and understanding um, the elements as sentient beings and all of life as sentient beings. And then the last thing I want to say in regards to what you said is, um, I know other people have this understanding, but it's really strong for me, um, is we're in a process of evolution. And so we've been on the planet before when there were rainforests up in the Arctic, deserts where the rainforests are. And so, yes, humans really did a lot to create climate change, but we also have to look at where evolution is bringing the planet to 
and what would have happened even without that human interaction. And so um, when we start to drop into spirit and when we start to drop into nature, we start to, uh, in our bodies, in our bones, we start to understand that there's a natural cycle of change. And it's just a natural cycle of change, just like winter's coming. We can't stop winter from coming. And there's nothing to be afraid of. It's, it's another cycle in our life. And so when we start to understand cycles, we start to lose our fear. Mm, so well said. Some would say that climate change is, is nature's of which we are a part. We are an integral part. Nature's immune system kicking in. And I think <laughs> there's evidence for that, you know, because there is, at the same time, there's so much darkness. There is so much light coming out in the world and so many... You don't hear about it in the mainstream media, uh, how many amazing creative inventions and uh, new ways of thinking that are coming out and things like quantum social change and so, so much happening that's really positive. But we're, we're looking for what's wrong, you know, what's broken, uh, including about me, what's broken, what's, what needs to be fixed about me, what needs to be fixed about the world. But what if nothing actually had to be fixed? It just had to be embraced and loved. Right, exactly. Yeah. I, I met um, these beings, um, and they, they helped me with my healing process. And I call them the ancient ones. And they're, they're, I don't, they don't tell me how old they are, but the sense I get is they're billions of years old. And the wonderful gift that they gave me, they gave me a lot of gifts, but one of the gifts that they gave me was a different perception of time. You know, they talked to me about that the earth is 4.6 billion years old and, and air was the first living being to enter the, the planet and the waters are billions of years old and on and on. And they said to me, you're here on earth for literally less than a blink of an eye. The earth doesn't even know you're here. That's how short your lifespan is. What do you want to do with this blink of an eye time that you have on this planet earth? Because it really is such, it isn't even a second from you know, the viewpoint of looking at the history of the world. It isn't even a second. What do you want to do with that second? Mm, I love that. If we could keep that question with us constantly, what kind of world would we have? Just living <laughs> into the question, as Rilke would say. Yeah. yeah. You know, Sandy, one of the things that you have, you know, I've often encountered in your work is the idea of creation stories and the importance of creation stories. And as you're talking there about, you know, the blink of an eye, I'm thinking, talk a little bit about why you consider cultural creation stories so important. Well, um, I'll share two uh, different perspectives on that. One is when I teach people how to get in touch with their spiritual light, I'm trying to teach people about their, their own transcendent nature 
and that they are a reflector. Um, uh, they do reflect the power of the creator, God, the God is, you know, whatever the powers of the universe, whatever words fit for you. And what I find is when you start to, to tell people, well, you're a being of light that has the same power as the creator and your light is like the creator and you have, you don't know who your creator is. You're just, you just have the story you grew up with, but you don't have your own story. Um, how do you understand uh, what light is and the power of light? How will you ever understand that if you don't even have an idea of how you were created? Because light does create. And then again, um, I got really interested in how shamans use chanting to dismember an unhealthy fabric of reality and to reweave the healthy fabric of reality. And if you look at shamanic cultures around the world, what they're doing when they're creating, uh, reweaving a healthy fabric of reality is they're chanting over and over again their culture's creation stories and their word for the creator. And miracles happen. Um, I find it just so interesting how in shamanic cultures you see so many miracles that happen as shamans chant their creation stories when they're dealing with healing a person, trying to reweave a healthy fabric of reality in them, or reweave a healthy fabric of reality between people and the climate, because that was one of the roles of the shaman. And they chant the words of their God, their creator, as they do this. And so creation stories were actually chanted to create a new reality, just like, Michael, you were talking about words are used to create a new reality. Creation stories were chanted to create a new reality also. Mm, brilliant. Well, that brings me to another favorite subject and the subject of your last book. What is the deal with ceremony? Why is ceremony so important? It fits right into this context. So talk a little bit about ceremony and, and how maybe people could start to have little ceremonies in their lives that actually, you know, like leaving their house and stopping and stepping over a threshold and saying what kind of day they're going to have, or just little things, little ceremonies and big ceremonies. Talk to us about ceremony. Well, ceremony is a sacred act. When we perform a ceremony, what happens is, again, when you perform a ceremony in a sacred way, which we're starting to lose that in the West because people come from reading Facebook and jump into a ceremony or watching TV and jumping into ceremony, where in shamanic cultures, people prepared for days before they did a ceremony with diet and making sure their thoughts are cleansed and that they're connected to spirit. So when you perform a ceremony in a, in a sacred way, what happens is, is you tap into your divine 
And it actually creates a connection with um, the divine forces in the transcendent realms. So all of a sudden, you, you're lifted out of your humanness by the preparation work that you do, and you're now in alignment with the divine forces of the universe. And so then, with your ceremony, what happens, you are now working with the spirits to flood this reality where you're going back to the non-ordinary worlds and carrying back healing energies into this reality through using ceremony. And uh, ceremony brings us to a place of feeling so solid and centered that it's a wonderful way to work if you're getting caught up in fear. When we perform a ceremony, we're connecting with an earth that's 4.6 billion years old. We're connecting with air that was the first living being. Um, and when air comes and kisses your cheek uh, in the middle of a ceremony, you're being kissed by this ancient, ancient being. And the waters and the sun, uh, how could you not feel solid when you're, you're working in partnership with these ancient beings? It just gives you a sense of security and that there is nothing to fear. And so ceremony can be as simple as what you're saying, Michael, of walking out your door and saying that you're going to be kind to everyone you meet today. Or you might create a big fire ceremony where everybody creates some kind of talisman and you take turns dancing around the fire and drumming and rattling and throwing your greatest fears, your greatest angers, your greatest blocks to your creativity into the fire, your old wounds, your old traumas, asking the fire to transform that into love and light that shared with the um, entire collective. Or you could do the reverse, a blessing ceremony where everybody puts in their wishes to the fire, asking them to carry that up to the creative forces of the universe to create a healthy planet or to bring you your, your greatest dreams or to honor a change that happens, the changes in the seasons, and that helps you to feel more in alignment when the seasons come in instead of that shock that happens to so many of us when you look at, uh, at a calendar. Ceremony is used to honor a change that's happening in your own life or with the community or to release something or to call something in that's really needed. Those are just some really short examples. That's beautiful. One of the things I'm thinking about is gratitude. You know, my friend Lynn Twist always says, what you appreciate appreciates. And I love that. And I think that's really an important part of shamanic work is living in a state of gratitude. We, we take so much for granted, you know. I think in California recently, so many people have been without power, dealing with fires and things. But I hear many people saying, oh, but I realized you know, it's how amazing it is to flip a switch and light comes on or water comes out of the tap. Talk about gratitude as a shamanic practice. 
Well, in shamanic cultures, gratitude was probably the foundation of health. And so there is no shamanic culture that doesn't really teach gratitude as the most important practice. And in Medicine for the Earth, I use the word appreciation instead of gratitude. To me, they're, they're the same thing. I just gravitated towards the word appreciation. And when we're in gratitude, when we're in a state of appreciation, that naturally sets up a foundation, a, a really healthy foundation, so that every step we take in life as we're, we're filled with gratitude, it's like we almost have the energy coming out of our feet is blessing the earth with every step that we take. Everybody on the planet is being blessed by every exhale we put out when we're in that state of, of gratitude. All of life is being fed. It's a very strong energy that helps us to enter back into a place of harmony because so much of what we're seeing um, on the planet today is disharmonious states of consciousness and gratitude is always going to bring you back into a good state of consciousness which allows you to feed the world in a positive way. And a story I, I share a lot is a friend of mine was in a, a local bookstore here in Santa Fe many years ago, and there was a Tibetan nun um, in the bookstore, and everybody was gravitating towards her because she was emanating so much love and so much light. You know, she had one of those smiles that lit up the entire store and eyes that lit up the entire room. The thing about this Tibetan nun is that she was uh, captured by the Chinese and tortured for years. And so people asked her, how could you be this beacon of light when you were tortured so mercifully for so many years? And she said, I just repeated to myself, thank you for everything, no complaints whatsoever. And that was a mantra that she did 24 hours a day, and it brought her to a place of healing. And so gratitude is um, a force that can transmute and can transform a lot of our fears, a lot of our anger, things that we're really upset about right now. Mm. So beautiful. I can't believe we're out of time, Sandy. There's so much more to talk about. As usual, I know that this new course is about to be released next week, I think. So can you tell us the information about the course and, and just a little bit about it uh, in the last yeah. minute or so here? Yeah, so uh, in the course, Healing with Spiritual, Healing with Spiritual Light, there are two phases of the work. One phase of the work is the personal work that we have to do, the learning how to transmute our thoughts, learning how to work with words of power, learning how to work with our daydreams so that our daydreams are aligning with the daydream, the dream that we want for, for life. How do we connect to the land that we live on so that we're not seeing ourselves separate from it, but the land is an ally and we're an ally for the land? How do we connect with earth, air, water, fire as sentient beings and see 
how we can build a strong relationship as family, as kin, with the elements. How do we connect with nature, all the nature beings? How do we connect with the hidden folk who are also caretakers of the earth, the fairies, the elves, the forest guardians, the David realms? And so a lot of the course is all about that. Everything I just named are exercises that we do around working on the personal daily work that we need to do. And then the second phase of the work is the ceremonial work where we can come together as community to perform healing ceremonies, especially using light to heal ourselves, the planet. And so I teach people how to work with the ceremony of working with transfiguration and light to work with toxicity on the planet but I also teach people how to bring it into their client sessions, into their work with loved ones and in their communities. And I really strongly try to get people to teach everything I share in this course to your friends and in your community. So the course is it's a, it's a teaching course for you of what you can do and the personal work that you have to do. And at the same time, I'm teaching you how to teach this work to others. Brilliant. So good to be with you. Thank you for your many decades of service to the world, to life itself. I know I speak for so many hundreds of thousands of people really around the world that have been touched by you your books, your videos, your work. It's just really a privilege and an honor to be with you, Sandy. Thank you so much for being on Conversations today. Thank you, Michael, and thanks for everything that you're doing. Conversations is an independently produced program supported by KVMR 89.5 Nevada City and listener contributions. We are committed to bringing you leading-edge thinking in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, and spiritual fulfillment. If you would like to receive our complimentary newsletter, The Well of Light, make a contribution, or order any of our past shows, go to our website at arewelistening.net.